Good morning again, and welcome, welcome, welcome. Does it feel like the Christmas season? The weather outside is frightening. <laughs> or frightful. Frightful. Okay, but the, but the fire... Uh-huh, since we have no place to go on Monday. I don't. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Okay. Uh, welcome, welcome to those of you that are watching at home as well. We're super glad that you're here. I have a few announcements for us that I'm very excited about. Um, the first one is our outdoor Christmas. That is going to be happening in two weeks on Sunday. We will not gather for our regular Sunday morning service. Instead, we will be in the parking lot, weather permitting, at 6 o'clock p.m. until 8 o'clock. And we will have fires and s'mores and kids' activities and a photo booth. And sadly, Santa can't come this year, so prepare the children. Um, but there will be plenty of other really cool stuff. And so we um, are just excited to get to gather together as a family. And at the end of our night, we are going to stand and have a candlelit carol sing, um, which is just beautiful. We do have a rain contingency plan, and so um, if that does happen, still plan to be here at 6 o'clock. It'll just need to modify some of the things that we're doing together. So um, you can watch Facebook if you're wondering about that, but no matter what, we will be together on Sunday, December 19th in the evening, 6 o'clock here, and we'd love for you to bring friends, family, anyone that you want to celebrate the Christmas spirit with. Um, and then we will not have church service on December 26th. We also will not have it on January 2nd. We find that those are some of the most ill-attended. Is that the word? Ill-attended? Poorly, sparsely, all those things. Because it's going to snow. No. Uh, and so we're just, as a staff, going to take some time off. And we're going to rest and we're going to enjoy some family time as you guys do the same. And so we just want to thank you in advance for allowing us to do that. But we will be excited. Jason will be like a caged animal come January 9th. He can only stand so much. <laughs> so we will be back to our regular programming children's. It's a little hybrid of children's and kids. That's kind of what I do um, on January 9th. So there's that. Um, also, I don't know if you noticed in the lobby on your way in, um, but there's even more coming. The contributions to Cedar Way and to Vision House this month are so awesome. I put that list together and thought, we'll probably have to buy a lot of things to supplement this. And you guys just killed it. Killed the list, literally killed the list, and I'm so thankful. We are bringing 35 stockings to Cedar Way and going to hand those out to families. Um, at Christmas time, oftentimes, they don't get the extras. And sometimes just helping with food helps them to buy that gift that maybe wouldn't have been possible. And so, so fun to be able to do that um, in a way that doesn't broadcast to the whole world, hey, we're here and we did this, um, but just to simply love them as they drive up in a really inconspicuous way. So thank you for the way that you're partnering to do that. Um, if you didn't get to contribute to that, because that's all happening this coming Tuesday, we also are collecting gift cards um, to help Vision House and the Nourishing Network 
Um, January, February are real sparse times for those organizations because everybody has done something for Thanksgiving and for Christmas, and then they kind of fall off off the map. Um, and so we're just going to help support them through that time. And so maybe you, your employer gives you a gift card or you went to a gift exchange and you're like, cool, one more Starbucks card. You can bless somebody else with that by just re-gifting it there. And so there's little red baskets in the foyer there. Um, and you can just drop those gift cards in. And um, we will deliver those to those organizations in January. So shopping cards, gas cards, Starbucks, Target, I mean, who doesn't love Target, am I right? Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. So um, I think that that's all the announcements that I have. <gasps> Thank you. Yeah, you can respond to announcements and connect with us by filling out your online communication card. You simply go to brickviewchurch.com, and there's a little form there. And if you're interested in helping with Cedar Way or Vision House or anything that I've talked about, we would love to hear from you. And it's reminding me I have one more thing. On December 23rd, that is a Wednesday, I'm almost certain. Thursday? Okay, the 23rd. It's very close to Christmas. Um, and uh, the Nourishing Network, which is through the Edmonds School District, they are partnering with a bunch of local restaurants who are going to be putting together some beautiful Christmas meals for people. And they're needing delivery drivers to do that. And so it will be from 9 to noon that you would pick up, and they would give you a route, and you will kind of fill your car up with 5 to 10 um, houses, Christmas food boxes, and then you'll get to kind of play Santa or Jesus and love them really well on their front porch as you drop off that food for them. So if you might be available, some of you have some time off of work, maybe you want to do that with your kids um, as a way of just kind of serving together and grab some cocoa and go out on a drive and find these, these homes to deliver meals to. Um, you can do that by signing up on your communication card, and I will get you all of the details that you need. You have to have a valid driver's license. So I'm sorry, Brooklyn. I will have to take you. You cannot go alone. Um, but in, And so that's what they need for their insurance purposes from us. But that's the only thing that you would need to do in preparation for that. Um, all right. That's it. I'm going to hand you off to Mr. Jason. Jennifer Huguenin, I could listen to you talk all day. I could look at you too. You look especially nice today. I love you, my wife. Well, you guys, here we go. Ready or not, here we go. Here comes Christmas, or what the ancients actually called Advent. Now, Advent is based on a Latin word that simply means to come. And at Advent, we remember that God has come to us in Jesus, but also we remember that Jesus will, will come again. 
Throughout church history, Advent isn't just, just about the birth of Jesus. It isn't just about what happened 2,000 years ago. It isn't just about the past. It's as much about looking forward to his return, his second coming, not as the lamb, right, but as the lion of Judah, a king whose love and peace and justice will then reign forever. So Advent is about the felt experience that we are all living in, sort of in this in-between, that, that God has come to us in Jesus, and, and yet there's a lot of brokenness that remains, right? In Jesus, God has made clear to us that he has not abandoned us, that he is at work. And in Jesus, we see that God began something beautiful, but it is far, far, far from completion. And so we are living in the felt experience of the now and the not yet. We ache for God to repair the pain and the brokenness that is still here, that is still everywhere. We ache and we wait and we hope. And today I want us to think about hope. And I want us to do it by looking at two kind of bookend passages from the Gospel of Luke. The first comes as the, the big anticipation of the birth of Jesus. And then the second passage we're going to look at comes right after his death. And in, in these two emotional scenes, I think what happens is we, we, can, we can see ourselves. So first, here we go. The classic Advent or Christmas passage from Luke 1. Here we go. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So Mary, we're told right away, is a descendant of David. And that's a big deal because in the first century, all of Israel was waiting for a descendant of David. They were waiting for a king that would come from the family line of David, a king that would usher in, as they'd been promised through many, many prophets in the Old Testament, a king that would usher in a new kingdom. The kingdom of God, a kingdom of, of shalom, like peace and wholeness and of healing, a kingdom of justice where all oppression ceases, a king that would free them from the tyranny of the Roman Empire. So here comes this royal announcement given to Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. And wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Right? The angel's like, Mary... You are about to give birth to the Messiah, right? She's like, I am? <laughs> right? Well, she's like, wait, what? How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Not only am I a poor teenage girl living in the middle of, of nowhere, a nobody living among a family of nobodies, but I am I'm a virgin. Now, I don't know a lot about a lot, but I do know how pregnancy happens. Right? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Not just the Son of David. The Son of God. The Father of this child will be God Himself. Mary, God is on the move. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Let me just say that again. No word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So this is like the classic passage preceding the birth of Jesus. Now I want us to jump to the end of the Gospel of Luke because Luke has this extraordinary scene immediately following the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And many Bible scholars believe that Luke was sort of intending to bookend the entire uh, Gospel of Luke with the, 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 the story we just read and the story we're about to read. So here we go. Luke 24 now. This is after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Right? He died. Everyone is brokenhearted. And yet there's been weird rumors. So here we have two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So Jesus had many disciples, like we're told he had many, many disciples beyond just the 12. And these are two of the disciples that are beyond the 12. And they're walking on the road and they're talking about all the things that have happened, about Jesus's death and about their confusion and their sadness about it and the reality that we thought he was the Messiah, we thought he was the one and look at all the stuff that he did. How could it have ended this way? And then they're talking about these insane rumors that they've heard of him being alive. As they're talking, Jesus joins them on the road and strikes up a conversation. And for some reason, really not explained by Luke, they don't recognize him. He asks them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things? Jesus asked. I love that. What, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Have you not heard about all the, the miracles? It's the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped that he was the Messiah. We had hoped that he would deliver us. We had hoped that he would free us from the Romans. We had hoped that he would restore our dignity as a people, as a nation. We had hoped that he would restore prosperity, that he would end all this poverty. We had hoped that he would bring peace and bring justice. We had hoped. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early, uh, they went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. <laughs> 
Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Can you imagine that conversation? (laughs) It doesn't say, I'm thinking now they're recognizing him. We had hoped, they said, we had hoped that he was the one to restore Israel. We had hoped that COVID would only last a few months. We had hoped that 2021 would mean getting back to normal, whatever that is. Do you remember talking about just 2020 was such a weird year? (laughs) As if 2021 is going to be totally different. (laughs) We had hoped. We we had hoped that our nation would would come together rather than splintering and fracturing apart. We had hoped injustice would come to an end generations ago. We had hoped that our business would would make it at the very least and, and, and thrive at most. We had hoped that all of our hard work toward our dream, whatever our dream was, would would pay off. We had hoped that our marriage would be different than this. We had hoped that we would have children by now. We had hoped. We had hoped for something different than this. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Now, the name of of that feeling of letdown and confusion and angst and sadness, the name for that is disappointment. And as we enter this season of Advent, we naturally, we just naturally think about hope. I mean, Advent is, it's about hope, but it's easy to think about the opposite of hope being like despair. And for certain people at certain times, despair is is very, very real. I mean, I think of the depression and suicide rates that have just been skyrocketing over the last many months during COVID. But for many people, and for probably for many of you, the struggle, struggle is not usually with like full-on despair. For most people, it's, it's down a, a, a notch or two, like a level or two, and it's, it's really more uh, this, this feeling of disappointment. There are moments of despair, but most of us don't live in despair. What is normal for a lot of us is to feel a chronic sense of disappointment. And this past season has been filled with so dang much disappointment. And when I look at our world right now, I, I, I feel that line in Oh Holy Night. Man, I love that. I love Oh Holy Night. I especially love it when JoJo sings it. Yes, sir. Oh, holy night. But I feel the line in it that says, the weary world rejoices. Because right now, are we not living in a weary world? So many of our hopes and our dreams and our desires have been let down. We, we put our hope in politics, like the, the quasi-religion of our secular age, to solve all the problems of the human condition, right? But it is, it's a mess, We put our hope in just in human decency. We've been trying for generations, and yet poverty and corporate greed and and racial injustice and those kinds of things just continue. We put our hope in the church. 
But it turns out that we too, church, are flawed and broken and deeply in need of the healing and mercy of God. Many of us had put our, our hope in the coming of, of the vaccine. When the vaccine comes, our, our world will go back to normal, right? But the, the vaccine has come, and still, we are far from normal. Disappointment is, is real, like not just as a culture, not just the general disappointment that we're all facing, but, but personal disappointment, right? A career that's gone sideways. A marriage that is, it's just not in a good spot. The loss of health or the loss of the health of a loved one, or a relationship that has gone sideways. Maybe it's been over politics, maybe it's been over COVID, or maybe it's just the brokenness of human nature that's taking its effect. Many of us in this room can say with all sincerity about something we had hoped. Or if you find yourself really alone in it, and this is the more desperate situation, I had hoped. Because there's not a we involved in it. It's just you. You're on your own. And that can be even more painful, right? Disappointment is universal. And we are all facing it on some level. Now, is this the most uplifting sermon you have ever heard? I mean, who's ready to just stand up and praise Jesus? I mean, let's go. Look, okay, so here's the thing. Advent is good news. Advent is good news, and it really is. And so, you guys, this is where the sermon turns. Are you ready? Yes, I am ready. I have depressed myself. I, I, I want to just throw out something to you guys that I don't think we've, we really think about too much, if ever at all. And I just want to throw this out there as sort of the, the, the base level idea that will kind of guide us through the entire morning. And the idea is this. What if there is a secret gift in disappointment? What, what if the feeling of disappointment can, can lead to beauty? What if disappointment is an emotional signal from our body that our hope was set on the wrong object? I mean, after all, hope must have something or someone to attach itself to. We don't just have general hope. We attach our hope to something or someone. So what if, if disappointment comes with a gentle invitation, like a, a soft warning bell from the Holy Spirit to recenter or reattach our hope to God? A, a synonym for disappointment is um, disillusionment, which you know, we usually think of as, as, as bad. But if you, like, if you break down the word disillusion, it is to be disconnected from our illusions, right? So if you think about it, the enemy's primary strategy to wreck us is illusions. It's lies. Whereas the specialty of Jesus is truth. It's, it's reality. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So what if when we feel disillusionment, rather than asking, why has God let me down? We were to ask, where was I living in an illusion? Where was my hope set on the wrong object? Now, <laughs> I wish that it was as simple as saying that as followers of Jesus, you guys, our hope is in Jesus and he will never let us down. Because if it was that simple, 
We could stop the message right here. I could just say that, end the message, pray, then the band could come up and sing, you're never going to let, never going to let us down, right? I mean, you can feel, can you feel it? Can you envision it? Let's go. I mean, I love that song. Do you love that song? I love that song. King of my heart. But when we sing that line, okay, God is, is never going to let us down. What in the world does that mean? What, what are we proclaiming? Really? Because there is this common like Christian heresy that tells people, if you have enough faith and you like really believe, then God will give you want, what you want in the way you want it in this life. There, there's a spiritual word for that idea. It's called bullcrap. <laughs> can, can we just be honest for a second? Like, can we just like strip away, not try to be religious, but just be honest? Do you ever feel, have you ever felt, do you ever feel, are you currently feeling at least an emotional level as if, God is letting you down? Seriously, because even when, when our hope is in Jesus, I think we can relate to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. We, we had hoped that Jesus would, and you just fill in the blank with your own thing. We had hoped that Jesus would do this or that or show up in this way or in that way. Like if you think back to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, it's interesting that Luke only names one of them. There's Cleopas and then an unnamed disciple. And some scholars speculate that that may actually be intentional, and it may be a very uh, like, uh, intentional literary move designed to prompt the reader to imagine himself or herself as the anonymous disciple. That Luke's up to something there. That that unnamed disciple is you, and it's me. Because all of us come to the point in our road where we do not get what we hoped. Well, this is why so many first century Jews rejected Jesus. I mean, have you ever thought about, do you, can you think of, imagine all the stuff that they saw, the miracles that they saw, right? And then, and then he dies, and, and, and then they, and he's resurrected, and people are talking about it, and they're like, nah. Nope. Nope. Nah. Mm-mm. Nothing to see here. Why would that happen? Well, part of it is just human nature. They felt let down by Jesus. Jesus did not do any of the things that they were expecting. He did not do any of the things that they were hoping for. Jesus did not rally an army. Jesus did not uh, uh, go and defeat Rome. Jesus, you guys, Jesus didn't even campaign for lower taxes in the name of justice. Jesus came and Jesus went and Rome was still in power. Even after Jesus, it was still oppressor and oppressed. And because of that letdown, many rejected Jesus. They're like, if this is what the king is, like if this is what the kingdom is, then I'm not interested. 
And what, what, we need, what we needed then and what we need now is, is what Paul talks about in Romans 5. Paul, a Pharisee, okay, a Jewish Pharisee who did come to believe in Jesus as the Messiah, and it cost him pretty much everything in his life. We need what Paul called a hope that does not disappoint us. That sounds nice. But what is that? How do, like, how do we live into that? What, what is a hope that will not disappoint us? When we think about Advent, we think of hope. But what is hope? Hope in what? For what? What, what is Paul talking about? Well, I think for us to, to really get there, we need to distinguish the difference between how the word hope is used in American, like American culture, from how the word hope is used in Scripture. In American culture, hope can mean a, a lot of different things. Uh, for instance, it can mean like wishful thinking. As in, I hope it snows on Christmas. Or maybe I, I hope I get a year-end bonus. It can also just mean a general sense of positivity, general optimism. This underlying feeling of, I don't know, but somehow it's all going to work out. We just need to stay positive and optimistic and we just need to hold out hope. Or we can talk about hope in terms of statistics. And for you math people, and, and you probably, you're going to let, because this is about statistics and probability. We attach hope to probability. We look at the math and we feel like it adds up, and so we have a reason to hope. I hope our offer on the house is accepted. Why? Because it's a good offer. I hope I get into that college. Why? Because I got good grades and I did really well on my SAT. Right? Or, I hope the Mariners make the playoffs next year. <laughs> the, you guys, what is happening in here? There's a wave of the Spirit. You guys, I just want to say, the math is starting to add up. Okay, okay, let me make my case. They won 90 games last year. They almost made it. It came down to the very last day of the season to get into the playoffs last year. They have one of, if not the best, farm system in all of baseball. Okay, by, that's, this is independent. This is not like Mariners.com telling us this. This is like independent sources. They just signed the Cy Young winner from last year, Robbie Ray. Yeah. Best pitcher in the American League. They got him. They have enough money to sign other talent, very talented star-type players because they have the payroll flexibility to do it. You guys, the math is starting to add up. And so I hope they make the playoffs. Any other takers on the Mariners in the playoffs next year? God bless you people. This is a tough crowd, you guys. I... Okay, now let me just say, these are the, these are the kinds of hope that we're, when we're talking about hope in American culture, this is kind of it. And these, these kinds of hope are not bad. I mean, none of this, sto they're not bad at all. It's, it's okay to engage in this stuff, but none of this stuff is the way that hope is used in Scripture. 
Here's a, a, a definition of hope as used in Scripture. Hope is the expectation of coming good based on the person and promises of God. Hope is a kind of energy that's based in the future, and yet it is fuel for the present. Here's, here's Eugene Peterson. It says, hope is not about the future. Hope is about the present. It obviously has to do with the future, but it is a virtue which is cultivated in the present. It fills the present with energy. It connects the two comings of Jesus so that we are now participant in them. We are not just remembering the one and then believing in the other. We are participating in the continuity of the two comings. Meaning, hope, like Advent, is all about the now and the not yet. As humans, we, we, can't, we really cannot even live without hope. As Martin Luther once said, everything that is done in the world is done by hope. Everything. Every good thing that human beings do, they do from hope. Every business that started. Every vow to a marriage that is made. Every friendship that's kindled. Everything good in the world is fueled by hope. The question is not, do you hope? We, we, yes, we can't help but hope. The question is, what do you put your hope in? And as I said before, hope must have an object. It must attach itself to something. So as followers of Jesus, our hope is not rooted in like generic optimism, nor is it rooted in the stability of Western civilization or, or America, nor is it, is it in a, a rising standard of living that we can count on or a political vision. Not that any of that is bad to desire or even at times to expect or want. It's, it's just that all of that stuff can and often will let us down, right? It will disappoint us. It will disillusion us. And so as followers of Jesus, our hope must transcend that. So let's think through the hope that we have in Jesus. In, in Scripture, hope in Jesus is primarily rooted in, in four ideas, and so as we're, as we're entering into Advent, as we're thinking about hope today, I just want to walk through these, these four ideas. Number one, Jesus will return to make all things new. A few months ago, I, I began meeting with a man that doesn't go to our church, and he is facing all kinds of crisis in his life, and he wanted to get some spiritual perspective. Um, he's not a church guy, has like no knowledge of the Bible, but he wanted something. So he reached out to me, and we have, we've actually met several times. He's had MS for many, many years, and his body has been in decline for a long time. And then a couple of years ago, he was diagnosed with stage four cancer. So he's had to do chemo and radiation, and it has, it has ravaged his body. And in the midst of all of that, the one person in his life that he could count on, his girlfriend of many years, who was caring for him, died very suddenly. So now he's, he's alone. So he just wanted somebody to talk to to process his pain. And he wanted a pastor because he had a lot of spiritual questions, and especially questions about heaven. Heaven has become a very important topic for him, as you can imagine. And the most burning question for him has really been simple. It's been, Will, will I really be reconciled with those that I have lost in this life? 
like my mom and my dad. And he's told me all about his mom and his dad and just wonderful people. And he said, and right now I can't bear to think about not reuniting with my girlfriend. She just means so much to me. How does all of that work? So one day I was trying to help him understand the Christian vision. And and a thought occurred to me while we were talking. He wants to know if he can be reunited with loved ones. And here's the thing. I think he absolutely can be. That's part of it. But in Scripture, I think we see something way bigger than that. Scripture teaches that God is, is working to restore and heal all things. And that means all of creation. It means the seas and the mountains and the trees and nature itself. It means, it means all of our brokenness. It means our bodies, for sure. Disease and flaws and pain of all kinds. But it also means our emotions. Anger, hate, sadness, fear. It means our relationships with one another, the brokenness and the fractures, our families, our, our friendships, even with our enemies. And as I was explaining this to this, this man who's just like broken and, and desperate, an idea just sort of popped into my head that I shared with him. And it just it went like this. I want you guys to imagine an unborn fetus in utero. If you somehow had the ability to communicate, like if you could speak to that fetus and explain what's coming, what, what that baby will experience after birth in this life. If you could tell that fetus what's coming, like there's going to be hot and cold. There will be friendship. There will be all kinds of weather. There will be snow and it's beautiful and cold and white and kind of fluffy and there will be soft breezes in your hair and on summer days and there will be ice cream <laughs> and movies and cell phones and there will be music like this amazing gift from God, music. And what else can I tell you about? Oh, there's sex. Wait, maybe we shouldn't talk about that right now, right? You, well, we'll just let you discover that for yourself. But even if you had a shared language and you could explain this stuff, a fetus who's never been outside the womb would not be able to get it. It is just way too far beyond their experience to be able to understand. In the same way, we want to know, hey, where is God taking all of creation and how's it all going to work? But this is a very difficult thing for God to explain to us for obvious reasons. And so he gives us metaphors and pictures that relate to experiences that we've had in this life to try to kind of point the way a little bit. But it's kind of like a fetus trying to understand wind or music or ice cream. So when we have all kinds of questions about what's coming, I think it's like God just sort of smiles at us and says, trust me, I'm up to something amazing but you can't get it yet. Trust me. I mean, I think about the, the beauty and mystery of, of John's words in Revelation, his otherworldly description of what's to come once Jesus is, is king. And it comes right at the end of the Bible. This is Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 7. These are very familiar words to many of you. But John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And He will dwell with them. They will be His people. And God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, Who's seated on the throne? Jesus. I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. To those who are victorious, those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. God is saying, I am up to something. Trust me and live in hope. You guys, the New Testament is just riddled with the hope that's coming. It's like it's on page after page after page. Think about the language of Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Here's a passage that we don't hear quoted that much. This is awesome. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? In Scripture, hope that does not look over the horizon to the life to come is not Christian hope at all. As Paul put it, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. So our our deepest desires reside here. Jesus will return to make all things new. And this is a radically different hope than the hope of our secular age. We live in a culture that, that's hung it, its hope on things like politics and science and technology and a rising standard of living, living and even for some people like psychedelic mushrooms, <laughs> right? Anything other than Jesus to repair what feels broken. The hope of our age is to achieve somehow some kind of human-based utopia, to somehow like usher in the kingdom of God without, the, without God. Uh, to, to, to experience this social order of peace and prosperity where there's no disease or disunity, but without Jesus taking part in any of it. Without the reign of Jesus. And while we should link arms with many human efforts to alleviate suffering and even work together with those who believe things very different from us, those things, as good as they may be, cannot bring about the kingdom. No politician, no policy, no app, no gadget, no pill can save us. But people inject this kind of messianic hope into a policy or a politician or a medical breakthrough or a technology and in the end are let down. The gospel of Jesus is that the government will be on his shoulders, not ours. 
Now, do we have a role to play in that? Yes, especially as we are changed and morphed into people who can handle the responsibility of co-ruling with him. But we will never have the kingdom without the king. So our hope is that Jesus will return to make things new. Okay, number two. In the meantime, Jesus is with us in our pain. Whatever disappointment you may be feeling right now, whatever comes or does not come, you're not alone. Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. The, the best thing in this life is that through Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead and, and the spirit of God that came in the wake of him, as followers of Jesus, we now have access to the Father and to his love. Anytime we turn our attention to God, he's there. We get to, we get to just look at God looking back at us in love. And, and let his love heal the, the darkest, deepest part of our brokenness and, and set free our deepest slavery to our attachments and, and redirect the deepest sense of our hope that we've placed on some other object. Just let his compassion wash over us and, 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 and our mess and the weakness of our humanity. And nothing, like no suffering, no pandemic, no failure, no recession, no family that isn't what you want it to be, not even the death of somebody you love, nothing can take away our access to God's loving presence. Nothing can stop us from at any given moment, like even right here, right now, just living in awareness of and connection to the compassionate goodness of God by the Spirit. All of that is available, and all we have to do is stop and pray. All we have to do is just turn our attention to God because Jesus is with us in whatever it is that we're facing. So our hope is rooted in Jesus' return to make all things new and in knowing that in the meantime he's with us in our pain. And then third, it's rooted in knowing that Jesus will use our pain to form us into something beautiful. Jesus' desire for you and for me is that we would allow him to shape us and form us and heal us and make us into something beautiful and new. You guys, we don't, we don't just need to be rescued from the evil and the brokenness that's out there. I need to be rescued from all kinds of brokenness that is right in here. I am flawed and I am broken and there is all kinds of junk and mess in me. I need to be rescued from myself and you need to be rescued from yourself. And I, I can relate to Paul who said, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. You ever been there? Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Look at this last verse. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is saving me not just from all the stuff out there. He's saving me from what's in here. Ultimately, he wants to turn me into a person of 
agape, like the most selfless, giving kind of love. He wants me to live love. He wants you to live love. He wants us to live love together. But we have to be healed inside to be enabled to do it. And Jesus can use many things to bring that healing about, right? We talked about this a couple weeks ago for you, those of you that were here or online for that. He changes us by the, the stories that we live, like through, through scripture-based teaching and just painting a new picture of reality for us and how things actually work. He molds us through spiritual disciplines, like things like prayer and reading scripture and soaping and being in church. And he changes us as we watch more mature Christ followers in their lives, as we live in community with brothers and sisters. He changes us through the Holy Spirit working inside of us as we begin to listen to the Holy Spirit and discern the Holy Spirit doing stuff. But one of the most dynamic things Jesus can use to form us is pain. Now that does not mean that all pain is sent by Jesus to form us. Some people believe that, that like all pain that we experience is sent by God. I don't. Um, I think a lot of suffering is just the result of living in a broken world. I don't think God sends us all our pain, okay? That's me. There are sincere followers of Jesus that would disagree with that. They would totally disagree with what I just said. And that's okay. They're wrong, but that's fine. <laughs> They're entitled to their wrong opinion. Here's where we all agree, though. Here's where we all agree. Wherever, wherever suffering comes from, it goes to good if we open it up to God. Now, I, I've been formed by many things in my years of following Jesus but I will tell you this, nothing has accelerated that growth in me more than pain and disappointment and loss and confusion and frustration. Nothing. Especially when that's done in conjunction with other spiritual disciplines and in Christian community and all of that. As long as I open it up to Jesus and invite him into it with me. Pain does amazing things. So let me ask you, I just, what disappointment are you facing right now? Like, what real disappointment are you facing right now? And what would it look like for you to just open that up to Jesus? To invite him into it with you? To form you deeply in it? To turn you into a person of faith and joy and hope and agape kind of love? Our hope is, is not that nothing bad will happen to us because we love Jesus. Our hope is that whatever happens, we're not alone, that God is with us. And if we give him our pain and our disappointment and our letdown, God will take all of that stuff and then by his spirit, give us back transformation. He will grow and mature us into people of love and joy and peace. The kind of people who can one day comprise a world that is made up of a community of love. And then finally, our, our hope is rooted in one more idea. That Jesus is bringing future good into the here and now. Our, our hope is not just for the life to come. It's also, right, for this life. The kingdom is, is both now and not yet. Jesus can and does bring future good from the age to come into what the New Testament calls this present evil age. God, God brings us sneak peeks of what's coming. 
Life is, like, life is full of all kinds of surprise goodness if we have the eyes to see it. If we open our eyes, there is beauty and joy and love all around. God sends us sneak peeks of what's to come right into our here and now. We, we, we can so easily take for granted how much goodness is already here. But, but if we pause and look with a heart that's calm and open, we can hope. And we can hope because Jesus will return and make all things new. We can hope because we're not alone in our pain. We can hope because if we open our pain to him, he will form us and make us new, make us something into something strong and beautiful. And we can hope because he is actively bringing future good from the next world into this one. The invitation of Advent is to set our hope back onto its rightful place, onto Jesus. A guy named Mike Airy said it this way. He said, Advent is not simply a reason, or not simply a season to await the coming of Christmas. Much less is it simply a reenactment of ancient hopes long ago fulfilled. It is a time to renew and enlarge our hopes, to tap into the deepest hopes of the human race for the age that is to come, and then to prepare a mystery visible only to the eyes of faith, the fact that in this humble birth so long ago, the coming age has begun. Because there are times when, the, like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, the emotional energy for us just runs out of fuel. Some of you may be there this morning. There are times when life just doesn't make sense. When the math just doesn't add up. When we can't make the connections between our pain and God's plan or God's purpose. Times when we're scared, when we're angry about what's happening. Advent is a time for a confused heart. We had hoped. We had hoped that things would look different than they do. Where is that a reality for you? Because we all face disappointment. The thing is, with Jesus, you don't have to face it without hope. I want to invite the musicians to just make their way up. And I want to invite the rest of you to just close your eyes for a minute. Just close your eyes and take a few deep breaths. Just breathe in and out. And let your heart settle. Let your heart become tender and open. And I want to read the beautiful prophetic words of Isaiah. Just read them over you. This is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And I just want to invite you into a heart posture where you let this picture wash over you. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from not that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this.